Welcome back. It's episode 43 of The Build. And I'm going to tell you where I've been, but first, we have a bit to do. We're in our Kale Clegg era, our Jordan Wheel chapter, our Michael Chaput period. Now that that is out of the way, how are you? It's been a while. Some may say too long. It's me. I'm some people. It's been too long. <laughs> so let me explain what's been going on since the last time I sat in front of this microphone. And I'm moving it now because I'm a bad podcast host. Um, at the beginning of April or, you know, a little, probably like two weeks into April, I got pretty sick. Um, I had COVID a year ago and this cold or whatever it was I got was somehow way worse. <laughs> I think I got it at the movies. I went to see the Mario movie and probably some little mouth breather got his boogers all over the theater and, and I won't get into specifics of, you know, that ailment, but it was pretty gnarly. Um, went to the doctor, got some meds that kicked like 90% of it. Um, but what I was left with that 10% was like a lingering cough. Uh, went to another doctor. They gave me an inhaler and told me Google how to use it. I'm not even kidding you. That's how that trip went. Um, you may be thinking that U.S. healthcare is a bit of a joke sometimes and you'd be correct. The funniest part about all of that is that I've had asthma for 20 years. I am intimately familiar with the inhaler. I don't need instructions on how to use it. And I'll tell you one thing for free. It ain't helping. <laughs> so I think eventually I'm going to have to go see a specialist for this cough. It's still around. I'm going to do my best to power through this episode. It's probably going to take me two hours to make a one hour episode, um, you know, with pausing and drinking water. The, the coughing fits can go on for a few minutes at a time. It's annoying. I'm going to do my best here. Um, why am I going to power through this? I've missed doing this a lot. Um, this show is something I really look forward to making, and it's kind of killed me that I haven't been able to do it. Um, you know, I look forward to sharing it with all of you guys. Like, I tweeted, um, I think it was this morning, that there'd be a new episode of The Build tonight. And the response I've gotten has been so nice. Like, it's just, it's awesome to see that. It's awesome to get that, to you know, put something out into the world and have the echo that comes back be very positive um, and excited for, for a return of sorts. Um, and I'm also a little bummed because I thought I had generated some pretty good momentum heading into the final days of the regular season. So hopefully you're still listening. Um, if you're, you know, if you checked out, you didn't miss much, uh, I haven't been here. So we will press on. Um, I'm going to do my best. Thanks for your patience and well wishes. Um, a lot of people reached out. I really appreciate it. Uh, I hate talking about myself, so we're going to move on. Let's talk about the Canadians. That's what this show is about, not me. Uh, yesterday was the draft lottery, and the Canadians didn't win, but I don't think they lost either. Uh, Montreal had the fifth highest odds at capturing that first overall pick, um, but statistically, their most likely spot to pick was sixth. Um, they had about a 45% or 44% chance of picking sixth. Um, about a, you know, they had over 50% chance of, of moving back, period, whether that be fifth or, or sixth or seventh. Um, 
because of how many teams behind them could have jumped them with a lottery win. So sticking at five was a victory in its own right for the Canadians here. Um, I think another winner in this draft lottery is the uh, the pro-tank movement. Because because of the lack of, of true movement, um, you know, outside of that top three, and we'll get into the actual winner in a little while, um, you know, that, that whole, well, anybody can win the lottery thing didn't happen, right? That, that anything didn't happen. It was one of the top three teams who moved up, and everybody else stayed in the exact same place. Um, sure, you can say, well, Anaheim and, and Columbus tanked pretty good and they moved back. Yeah, it's not a perfect one-to-one. -one. If you tank, you will pick first. There's only one pick. There's only one first overall pick. Um, the ultimate winners, the Chicago Blackhawks. Thank God something finally uh, happened to the Chicago Blackhawks that's, that's you know, that that the fans are happy about because they've been a you know long suffering fan base all four four seasons since they were last relevant. Um, I've never seen hockey fans on mass despise the result of a lottery as uniformly as they did on Monday night. The first thing that came to my mind was the the McDavid lottery where Edmonton won it for the you know the fourth time in five years or whatever it was. And people were sort of frustrated with that, and understandably so, right? Like, it kind of sucks that the same team keeps winning. And now the rules have changed so that that does not happen. Um, Chicago, from a strictly hockey perspective, has taken, like, four or five seasons off. And before that, they were, like, one of the modern-day dynasties. It's really just them, Pittsburgh, and uh, Tampa Bay. You could throw L.A. into there as well, but they only won twice. They've just moved on from their last two franchise-defining players, and now they get another one? That sucks. It sucks for the sport that all of the, the you know, that so many of those players are going to Chicago. And for that reason, it's exactly why Gary Bettman is probably doing backflips right now. Chicago is one of his most valuable fr franchises. It's his cash cow, you know, fork, uh, friend of the show, um, was, was, you know, one of the premier uh, Chicago Blackhawks bloggers back in the day. Um, he, he replied to a tweet of mine that said, Gary has already scheduled the next Winter Classic to be in Chicago. And it's so true, right? Like, they are the... They're the, the league's favorite son. They always have been since, you know, the, 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 the Kane and Taves era began. And that will continue because that television market is so valuable to the National Hockey League. Um, from every other perspective, the Blackhawks should not even have this draft pick. The Arizona Coyotes had a first-round draft pick revoked for doing physical testing on prospects outside of NHL rules, outside of NHL-sanctioned events. The Blackhawks covered up one of the largest scandals in the history of the sport and received no penalty of the, of the sort. Which is just, it's baffling to me. Like, the, the New Jersey Devils had draft picks revoked for, you know, trying to circumvent the salary cap with the Kovalchuk contract 
And the Blackhawks did not have a single draft pick revoked. That pick should have been revoked. And that's setting the bar so low, you'd need to call the city to ask for permission to go dig it up. So while I'm content with where the Canadians ended up, I am incredibly disappointed with the ultimate result, as are most hockey fans. It's a bad, it's a bad, it's, it's, it's watching the, it's watching the bad guys win again. And it sucks. With that, let's go back. I'm going to leave that there because I can't dwell on that. I can't change it. Couldn't do anything about it in the moment either. Uh, But let's go back to the Canadians. Fifth overall is a really, really good place to be for Montreal. There's a bunch of reasons for that. Um, we know Connor Bedard is going first. We are, at least I am 95 to 99% certain that Adam Fantilli is going to go second to the Anaheim Ducks. The draft really begins at three, which is oftentimes the way things go. Um, you know, last year's draft was sort of a a, a different animal because, of, because, you know, COVID impacted the uh, development times of, of all of those players. This, this this time around, you know, teams have a better idea of who these players are. Um, the draft begins at three, and I think it's truly anyone's guess what Columbus does in that three spot. San Jose, like Montreal, they stick in the spot they were in. They're at four, and Montreal picks fifth. The reason I think it's a good place for the Canadians to be is, is there's no consensus for who goes after... Adam Fantilli goes to the Ducks at two. I've read some takes that Columbus absolutely loves Will Smith, um, a center who Kent Hughes uh, actually coached in Boston uh, when he was younger. Uh, Matvey Michkov is probably the second best player available in this draft, but teams seemed really scared off by the situation in Russia. And I phrased that the way I phrased it very intentionally. We'll get to that in a little bit. And, I think the three years remaining on his deal with SKA St. Petersburg of the KHL is also scaring teams off. They don't want to have to wait that long for a player. Leo Leo Carlson? Is that right? Leo Carlson? Carlson seems like a top five pick as well. Um, he's a big cerebral center from what I've read, um, whether that be elite prospects or um, from guys I've mentioned on this show before, Sebastian High, Hattie K Scouting, um, you know, the gold standard for these, these, the, you know, people who have made scouting reputations for themselves within the hockey community. Um, he's mostly playing wing in Sweden right now. Carlson is, but he projects at a center as a center at the top, at the NHL level. Um, so those are three players after Fantilli who will likely be available to the Canadians at five, not to say all three players will be available, but, after Fantilli, one of those three players at least will be available to the Canadians at fifth. So who do I want if I was in charge? And thank God I'm not. I think I've mentioned it on this show. Um, I know I've talked about it on Game Over a few times. Um, I'll reiterate it now. Given the choice between these three, give me Matvey Michkov every day and twice on Sunday. Well, he's not going to be here for three more years. I don't care. (laughs) 
The Habs don't seem like they'll be competitive at that point anyway, so what's the real rush? Um, and by the, by the time Montreal does get him, they'll be getting a complete player. A 21-year-old with four pro seasons under his belt. Um, that, that, that puts, you know, the Canadians... I think that means Suzuki will be around... If he's 24, 25 now, he'll be around 28, maybe a little bit younger than that. Um, Doc, around the same age. Caulfield will be younger than that. Um, so it's not incredibly detrimental to the core of this team. And there's no guarantee. There's, you know, there there is a way for him to buy himself out of that contract. Not to say that he will, because the ramifications of that being in that country are probably pretty high. Um, but that drafting Michkov and waiting the three years for him firmly opens the Canadians championship window should things back on the farm continue to progress as they have. Well, you know, there's a risk in drafting Russian players because they might go back to the KHL. No, there there isn't. We need to stop framing Russian players this way. The situation in Russia and their invasion of Ukraine is entirely out of Matvey Michkov's control. And it's very frustrating to continue to watch young young players from, from Russia wear that as a mark against their character. I feel like, you know, that the, the idea of drafting a Russian early always has come with that little that, that caveat, well, he'll just go to the KHL if it doesn't go his way. When that rarely happens. And the the last instance that we've really seen of that was Vitaly Kravtsov for the Rangers. And the reason he bolted was because they weren't giving him an opportunity to play. It's not like the Rangers were begging him, please come play for us. They were sending him to Hartford when he had an out clause in his contract. No one's worried. No one No one talks about how Evgeny Kuznetsov didn't bolt. Uh, Nikita Kucherov didn't bolt. Kirill Kaprizov's here. He, like um, like Matt Vimichkov, he took a little bit to get here, but he's here now and he's dominating. So I am not scared of drafting a Russian player just out of this fear of the KHL. Put it this way. If you think that Russian players would leave the NHL for a a, a third-rate hockey league, that says more about what you think about the NHL than it does about any of these players. If you act like the NHL is in second place, you're right. They are. So that's... I'll park the Russian factor there, which I ha I hate saying that. It's, it's, it's gross. We need to move on from that. It is not 1960. Like, we have to stop doing that. Um, and finally, it's, it's time to stop being conservative with large-value draft picks. Last time Montreal picked fifth overall, they picked some goalie named Carey Price. You might have heard of him. Uh, a goalie even of, of Carey Price's caliber and pedigree at that time, taking him fifth overall, was still a massive risk even back then when drafting goalies higher up was far more common. That risk paid off. They don't all pay off, right? Like, you might miss. That's okay. I'd rather see the Canadians take a big swing on a guy like like Michkov at five. And if they miss, they miss. Oh, well, like we all thought that th that was the right 
course of action. A lot of people thought that that was that he is one of the most talented players in this draft class. I'd rather have them do that than to go, you know, with a guy like a Carlson or, um, you know, everyone keeps throwing out Dalibor Dvorsky and missing on that guy or even slightly hitting on that guy because, you know, his his floor might be higher. Scared money makes no money. If you don't take big swings, you won't get big hits. I think Montreal has a has a duty at this point to try to swing for the fences with this pick. Now, all of this might end up being moot anyway, because I have a sneaking suspicion that the Sharks could take Mitchkoff if he's available right before Montreal picks. The Sharks are not very far along in their rebuild, and I think waiting three years for a dynamic player is something they can afford to do. Um... Unlike maybe Columbus, who's been bad for a while, or Arizona, who would pick after Montreal, who's been bad for a while. The Sharks can wait. They just traded Timo Meyer. They haven't even traded Eric Carlson yet. They have a long way to go before they're a relevant hockey team again. I think Michkov would be a fantastic pick for the Sharks. But maybe they go center. Both Columbus and San Jose have a greater need for center depth than the Canadians do. Teams say all the time they don't draft for need, but they're filthy liars. Of course they draft for need. They always say, well, you know, Kent Hughes had said, you know, position is the tiebreaker between two guys who we think are equal. It's not. Like, the Canadians picked Jesperi Kotkaniemi at, at three. And he's he's turned out to be a great player. He's looked phenomenal in these playoffs. He always comes to play in the playoffs. Um, But it just, it hasn't. Teams always pick for need. And when they tell you they don't, they're filthy liars. So, and I don't think Columbus and San Jose have a ton of great centers like the Canadians do. Now, the Canadians don't have a Bedard or a Fantelli in their, their system, but the Canadians can line up pretty deep down the middle as of right now. And that that's going to get better with guys like potentially Pierre-Luc Dubois showing up. Uh, Owen Beck in the next few years. So it wouldn't surprise me, you know, from all that I've heard that maybe Columbus takes um, Will Smith and San Jose takes Carlson and, you know, Montreal rolls into the, the fifth overall pick and they get who could quite honestly be the second most talented player in this draft class. That's not a bad consolation prize. I think Montreal's in an excellent spot at fifth overall. And that's not me just saying, you know, because they lost the lottery, I'm just, this is pure copium. It's not. Because before the draft lottery took place, I said staying at five is a massive win for the Canadians. Because the odds are that they move back. And they didn't. And they stick in a spot that I think is going to be really, really good for them. Because I don't think there's a ton of pressure on them at that spot. Because they're really going to just be left with the players that, that are left after those first few picks have gone. I think... More pressure is on Columbus than anything because they're the real true first pick of this draft. Bedard's not a pick. He's penciled into Chicago's lineup already. Fantilli, the same thing out of Anaheim. Like Columbus has to has to put a lot of thought into this pick, much like Montreal did last year because, you know, as much as we thought Shane Wright was the consensus player, the Canadians disagreed. You know, Kent Hughes also said some stuff after the lottery was conducted about how the Habs are looking for guys with hockey sense and compete. I don't put a ton of stock into that 
because that that's the Lula Morello school of talk a lot but say nothing. Um, Montreal's going to get a really good player at five. I think Michkov is the ultimate prize in my mind because I think if he slides to five, Montreal should not balk at that. But Smith or Carlson or Zach Benson, who's a small but incredibly skilled forward. Um, hell, even even David Reinbacher out of, um, I think he's playing out of Germany, I'd understand as the top defensive prospect in this year's draft. He's a bit of a reach at five from what I've read. But I'd, I'd understand it. There are really good players available at the top of this draft. I don't think the Canadians will know who they are picking until San Jose announces their pick on draft night, which is fascinating. Like this draft is going to be absolutely fascinating once the Ducks pick is over. Really looking forward to it. It sucks. It's like two months away. Um, but that's so that's it for the draft lottery. We're not doing anything more there. Um, I kind of wanted to talk about actual hockey that's going on um, and talk about some playoff trends. Watching the playoffs as a fan of a non-participant is a really interesting exercise. Um, the hockey is fantastic most of the time. Really, I've really enjoyed this year's playoffs. Although the second round, I feel like there's a lot of blowouts, um, especially in that, that Carolina, New Jersey series. That every game is a blowout in one direction or the other. Um, and plus, just watching good hockey is nice because that's a luxury you know, that Canadians fans have not been afforded over the last two years, it's been a struggle. But I'm also I I also want to watch to see how teams are winning and losing in the playoffs, and trying to make parallels to where the Canadians are at in their rebuild. They all they're going to hopefully compete in the same league one day. It, it you know I want to see you know who else is uh, to come for the Canadians. How will those players show up in the playoffs? Um, it's not really something you can predict, which we'll get into in a little bit. But that's what makes playoff runs feel like you know. There, there's some kind of magic. Um, first, goaltending seems both critically important or entirely irrelevant, depending on what series you're watching. Um, the Rangers got otherworldly goaltending from Igor Shosturkin in their first round series, and they still lost. As of right now, no goalie in these playoffs has a higher goal saved above expected. And that's not a rate stat. That's just how many goals have you stolen from the other team? In a seven-game series, he had an 8.8, which means basically he took a goal away from the Devils every game. And they still lost. Um, Sergei Bobrovsky, on the other hand, has been entirely carrying the Panthers on their run. As of right now, he has six goals saved above expected for the Panthers. He's right behind uh, Shesterkin. And the Panthers have the, the Leafs on the brink of elimination, much to... You know, the dismay of Canadians fans who kind of need the, the Panthers to be eliminated as soon as possible to protect the value of that first round pick that the Canadians got in exchange for Ben Sherratt. Um, Stuart Skinner for Edmonton, he struggled in game three against Vegas and got pulled. He, you know, statistically hasn't been all that strong um, throughout his, his playoff run so far. But in that series, like, I don't think that is going to matter all that much because you've got Leon Dreisaitl who's got 13 goals already. Uh, the Bruins, they lost faith in their all-world regular season goalie in Linus Allmark and went to Jeremy Swayman in Game 7 against Florida and lost. What a choke job that was. Man, I, it's a, see, this is why I'm mad I was sick. 
that would have been so much fun to just rip on them for an hour. Talk about how, how fraudulent that team was. You can point to just about every series and highlight, uh, highlight goaltending as a key storyline. Whether the goaltender has been great or bad, it, it's sort of the extremes there. And I've talked to this point to death already over, over you know, the last few episodes of the show, but Montreal still needs to find their guy in net. Sure, maybe Montembeau could be the Canadian's version of uh, Laurent Boissois out of uh, Vegas. You know, a guy who finally finds his foot, his footing um, later on in his career. It's possible we're only a few months out from finding that guy. Maybe that guy is Montembeau. But I don't think that it's concrete yet that the Canadians have their next goalie. And I'm not saying they need to find a Carey Price type. Because you look around the league, that's not necessary. The Colorado Avalanche won the cup with Philip Grubauer. You know, um, Hopi came back when when Washington won, but they were going to go with Vanacek. Man, come to think of it, Vanacek has had a really (laughs) struggle a ton in in the playoffs, huh? Because he's kind of lost the job in New Jersey for the time being. It's a Kira Schmidt's net. Um, so goaltending is still critically important for the Canadians to stock the cupboards and find a guy. Um, next, the importance of not only having star players, but your star player showing up when it matters is something we're seeing across series. What McDavid and mostly Dreisaitl are doing is it Unbelievable. When they're on, they're the favorites in every game they play. And when they're off, we get what we saw in game three against Vegas. I don't even think they were really off. I thought that they, you know, at least in the first period, I turned it off after the first period because I thought it was over. And it was. You know, they were firing the puck. It just wasn't going in that night. Um, When the Devils got Jack Hughes running against the Rangers, that series was over. And similarly, the Rangers failing to get much out of Artemi Panarin. And I know he's not much of a star at this point, but Patrick Kane as well. That offense was really just Chris Kreider in the early going of that series. Mika Zibanejad had four points in, in seven games. And I feel like we got like a game or two of Vlad Tarasenko being vintage Vlad Tarasenko. The Leafs are leafing again. And it's due in no small part to their core four completely disappearing in the second round. And on the other hand... Matthew Kachuk has 15 points in 10 games for the Panthers, and he's absolutely torturing whoever he's playing on a nightly basis. Leaf fans are making this about, you know, Sam Bennett taking some really nasty runs at players on the Leafs. I thought that the 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 the, the choke slam that he put on Matthew Nyes was inexcusable, and it's wild that the it's not wild that the league did nothing. It's entirely expected that the league did nothing, but that should not exist in the National Hockey League in 2023. But Matthew Kachuk is running whoever he plays show. He is as dominant as he's ever been. And I think he's only getting better, which is so scary. So let's translate this back to the Canadians. Who are the Canadian stars or who will be the Canadian stars when it comes time to perform in the playoffs? Nick Suzuki has 32 playoff games under his belt, 23 points to go along with that. Um, in just his second NHL season, he played 22 games en route to the cup final. Uh, and he had 16 points, led the team in scoring. You know, for a young player to be doing that at that point in time, I feel like we haven't talked about that enough. That not only was he playing an important role, 
for that team, but he was leading the team in scoring. Um, Cole Caulfield did that same run. Um, he had 12 points in 20 games as a rookie. And to find 12 points in 20 games in whatever system Dom Ducharme had running is nothing short of a miracle. Um, outside of those two, no other part of this core has had any significant playoff experience, if if any at all. So how will Doc perform? Um, Slavkovsky seems built for moments like that. How does Caden Gooley elevate his game in the playoffs? Arbor Jackai, if he can clean up some, you know, some of the penalties and play in his own zone, he would be absolutely miserable to play against on a given night in the playoffs. Lane Hudson, who hasn't even stepped foot, you know, on an NHL ice surface yet. Can he be that Kale McCarr type guy? So that's something you really can't predict. And that's, like I said earlier, what makes playoff runs feel like like magic, right? That the puck's just going in for these guys. Um, but with that said, the point remains. You need your best players to be your best players. The goal for the Canadians at this point in their rebuild needs to be to find more of those top-line players. The goal That's the goal with that fifth overall pick. To add to that core of, of Suzuki, Caulfield, Doc, Slavkovsky, Gouley, uh, Lane Hudson, I'll throw him in there because I think he'll be a part of this team's core. Pierre-Luc Dubois. Okay, still a little early for that one. But that actually seems like a good segue into the um, the Habs offseason to-do list here. Uh, the trade deadline was an obvious dud for the Canadians since they were sort of hamstrung by injuries and their salary cap situation. It made making a, a, any kind of meaningful trade impossible. Um, injuries, if not long term, won't stop the Canadians from doing anything in this in this offseason. So I think I, I earnestly think that the offseason will be different than the trade deadline for the Canadians. And with that newfound flexibility, the Canadians ought to have a couple goals that will help them shape their roster not only for next season but for the seasons ahead. First and foremost, they need to make more cap space which is never an easy thing to do. Um, cap Friendly has the Canadians sitting at about $8.5 million of cap space for next season. And while that sounds like a lot, there are costs coming in the form of a Caulfield extension and potentially a Pierre-Luc Dubois contract. I know I laughed about that earlier, but if we're penciling him in in this lineup in the near future, he's going to be part of that salary uh, structure for the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, Dennis Gurionov needs a new contract, but I think that would come. Uh, it would come in under his $2.9 million hit that he currently has. If he gets signed at all, I'm really not sure his play is something I'm going to fall over myself to get more of at this point, but that remains to be seen. A very frustrating player, Dennis Gurionov, because when he showed it, man, it was really cool to see him go. He was fast. He shot hard. He was, you know... A, a a an energy line player but when he's off like he just entirely disappears which is just it can't happen um so how do the canadians clear cap space this summer first there's the trade route um i'll list a couple players that i think are potentially trade bait for the canadians first and foremost josh anderson he's been trade bait for the canadians for some time gms have apparently been calling about him for a while um he was injured towards the end of last season with an ankle sprain. Uh, that injury shouldn't stop him from from resuming his training at some point in the summer. 
if it's a high ankle sprain, you know, you're looking at three months. So by the, you know, when that happened, he he could be back on the ice by mid-July or August. Um, So no real injury concerns there. Moving him and his $5.5 million cap hit would not only clear space for the Canadians, but would likely come with a nice return. Because I think Anderson finished the season as strong as he's ever looked in a Canadian's uniform. It was a real shame that he got injured when he did, and like he did. Um, he's got an eight-team no-trade list, which likely re- you know includes the six remaining Canadian teams and like Arizona and Florida. I don't know. I'm just guessing, but you know, usually when it's around that number, you can you can bet on all of the Canadian teams being included there. Um, Christian Dvorak is under contract for two more seasons at four and point four five million dollars. That's going to be a tough one to pull off because I think that the best best case scenario for this deal is that it's a change of scenery deal, meaning Montreal gets a player back in a similar situation, a similar cap hit. Um, it seems unlikely Montreal would clear a ton of salary in you know, a Christian Dvorak trade unless they're attaching a premium asset just to dump him, which I would advise against at this point. Um, but that's an interesting one. I don't know... I. It's possible teams look at the situation that he's been in Montreal and think that they can get more out of him, you know, in a better situation. But, like, is he, you know, leave Pierre-Luc Dubois out of the equation. Of the four centers that the Canadians currently have, Nick Suzuki, Kirby Doc, uh, Jake Evans, and Christian Dvorak. Are you playing Dvorak over any of the first three? I'm not. That's why I listed him last. I would play Jake Evans over over Christian Dvorak, and that you know that that sort of leads us to where we are with him. It's just not it's not a fit. Uh, Joel Edmondson was nearly traded at the deadline. Teams were likely scared off by his health. I think he was recovering from a back injury, and it was sort of like we were watching you know pregame skates when they were out on the West Coast to see, oh, he's skating. Is someone going to trade for him? Um, now they have the ability to trade a mostly healthy Edmondson. I'm never going to say he's completely healthy because of the the, the style of play that he has um, leads players to become more injured over the course of their careers. Um, and not only that, they have the, the opportunity to trade him as a pure rental. It's only for a year. Montreal could eat half of that deal, especially with Dodonov and the, the Dodonov and Nick, uh, Nick Benino's salary retentions coming off the books on July 1st. You can afford to eat half of Edmondson's salary for the entire season. Um, he might be worth more at the trade deadline, but given his style of play and injury history, holding on to him for an entire season seems like a bit of a gamble to me. Uh, he's got a 10-team no-trade clause as well, so that's something else you have to operate around. These last two are two that I, I feel, for whatever reason, I feel very certain that they'll be moved um just given the situations that they're in david savard is due three and a half million dollars for the next two seasons he's 32 i know you love him in the room i i I am definitely appreciative of the atmosphere that he brings um you know to that locker room but it's you know it's just i he's 32 like i said he's got two years left i don't know like how valuable that is to a Canadians team that does not look to be contending at the moment. Um, he also has, he does not have any no trade protection. So you could deal him freely 
Um, he feels like an Ottawa senator to me. Like it just it feels like a great fit for him in Ottawa, given you know the senators having issues on defense. I don't even necessarily know that David Savard fixes any of those issues, but that has not stopped Pierre Dorian and the Ottawa Senators in the past. Uh, and lastly, Jake Allen is due a major raise next season. Next season, he's going from two point eight seven five million to three point eight five million, so nearly a million dollars um, richer is Jake Allen next season. I think I've said this before on this show, but I'll reiterate it here. I think that contract extension. Um, is some of, if not the sloppiest bit of work from Hughes and Gorton so far. Um, just no reason to sign a 32-year-old goalie to an extension, a two-year extension, a year ahead of time. Um, the net belongs to Montembeau, which is not something that I, I think they anticipated happening. Someone is going to need a goalie now this summer. Montreal's not that team. I think moving on from Jake Allen makes sense at this point in time. And like David Savard, he does not have trade protection, so you can deal him freely. How about a buyout? Not for Jake Allen, in general. Are there any buyout candidates on this team? The one that comes to mind is uh, Yoel Armia, um, because I don't think you're tricking anyone into taking that deal. He's got two more seasons on his contract with an AAV of $3.4 million. Hey, it's so bad. Um, the buyout would double the remaining term on the contract from two years to four years, but the Canadians would save money over the next two years and then owe more money in the following two years because those two years he wouldn't have been on the books had they not bought him out. Over the next four years, his cap hit would turn uh, to $1.43 million. Is it worth it? I, I don't think so. Unless the Canadians need the money for something right now and they're willing to mortgage the future a bit by saying, you know, for those two years that he would have been off the books, we'll, we'll pay, you know, one and a half million because it's, it's almost what it comes to, um, to just not have him around. I'd like it a whole lot more next season when the cap hit only extends for one more season. Um, because buying... Like I said, buying him out would signal buying him out right now would signal to me that they have something lined up where they need the money, which I don't necessarily know that they do. There are other ways for them to create that cap space without doing something like this that might hamstring them for the two years following that. So that's offseason goal number one is to create cap space. There's a bunch of ways to go about it. Cap space is an asset in this league. I'm, we've seen uh, Kent Hughes have a firm understanding of that with, you know, the uh, Shea Weber deal, bringing in uh, Dodonov, and the Sean Monahan deal, bringing him in, you know, just basically to eat a year of that deal and take a first-round pick for your trouble. So, that's that. like I said, that's goal one. Two is, is you have to nail this draft. I think I said it last year. I'm going to say it this year. I'm going to say it next year. I'm going to say it for the years to come. You have The draft is so critically important. And it's not just critically important to say that it's critically important. Like the last guy did. You'll get plenty of draft profiles on players over the next two months. I'll, I'm sure I'll share some guides that I think are worth your time and or money. 
Um, but the goal has to be to continue to add talented players to this prospect pool. And in that, I think it's important to not focus on need because the Canadians' needs are everywhere. That's the way that you. I think you have to approach a draft as the Montreal Canadiens. And I also wonder what Kent Hughes has planned for the draft floor, if anything yet. I'm sure you know things will materialize over the next month or so. He made a big splash last year, not only by surprising people with the first overall pick, but with them going back down and finalizing the trade for Kirby Doc. You know, does he have a similar move up his sleeve this year? I think, you know, and this is just me thinking out loud, I feel like if he does, it might be for a defenseman who who's in a similar situation that Kirby Doc was in a few years ago. But we'll have to wait and see. I don't think he's going to stand pat just with making the, the two selections on draft night on the you know the the night of the first round and then move on. And finally, free agency. So those are basically the three chapters of the offseason, right? Um, I don't think the Canadians will be big players in the free agent market now. I don't think they will be next year. After that, maybe we're getting into a little bit of you know free agency, but it doesn't make sense with their current plans to go and spend that money. Um, and they won't have the money to do so anyway with the Cole Caulfield extension likely being done, um, you know, it could be any day now. Where I think the Canadian strike in free agency is clear, and that's Pierre-Luc Dubois. And that's not really a free agency move so much as it is a trade. Potentially an offer sheet, but I think that that's pretty low on the, on the list of things that could happen. Before the playoffs started, I was less certain that a deal would take place where Dubois was traded, traded anywhere, really. Um, but after watching the, the near-nuclear fallout that took place in Winnipeg after they lost to Vegas, I feel like they're looking at a fire sale. It seems like the, the guys who have been there have quit on the coach. It seems like the coach quit on the players. The general manager, I feel like he's thinking about retirement at this point. Like The conditions are, are ripe for movement in Winnipeg. And it, it it might mean that the Canadians are able to get Pierre-Luc Dubois at a cheaper price than they would have thought. Um, and if they can't, maybe you wait till next summer and you just get him as a free agent. Other than that, like can, like I said earlier, can they make a, a Kirby Doc move for a younger player who might have fallen out of favor with his current team? One guy I've got circled, and I think it's a it's definitely a pie-in-the-sky idea, but Capo Caco in New York. I do not think the Rangers would be smart to trade him, right? Like, I I, I think Capocaco, he just scored 40 points as a 20-year-old. But if, you know, it, it has always seemed like he's been on the outs. And perhaps that was just, you know, the, the, the his relationship with the coach. They're getting a new one. So perhaps that maybe that relationship gets mended. Um I don't think it would be smart for the Rangers to trade him. However, the Rangers have not done a ton of smart things over the last few years. The team that loses in the first round of their top rival after going up 2-0 on the road, that seems like a recipe for a shakeup. Like, like the coach is already out. There are rumblings about Lafreniere, but I don't think he's going anywhere. I think they'll hold on to him. But Capocacco... You know, he might become a cap casualty. They have to sign Alexi Lafreniere. They have to sign Keandre Miller. 
they also have to build the rest of their roster. Is is Vlad Tarasenko coming back? I read that he's open to returning to the Rangers. There might not be space for a guy like Capo Caco in New York. Um, again, pie in the sky. I don't know anything. But he's a guy that I would, you know, after watching him this season, man, he'd be he'd be loads of fun on this Canadians team. And of course, something I've hinted at the entire time, Cole Caulfield's next contract is going to be the news that we want to hear every day until it happens. And Jeff Molson said recently, it could happen any day now. I am of the belief that it will happen when it happens. I am not going to reply to the Canadians' uh, tweets and say, announce Caulfield extension, because the guy who runs, the, the guy or gal or non-binary pal that runs that account, uh, they they do not have the power to sign Cole Caulfield. You're... As, as as is said, pissing into the wind by doing that. Uh, so I'm not going to do that. It's going to get done. He loves it in Montreal. Like It's very apparent in everything that he does with this team. He loves playing with Nick Suzuki. He loves playing for Marty St. Louis. Like he's in, he's in a very good situation for himself. I know that, you know there's often this idea that all these American players, they just want to go home. They, you know, they're going to bolt out of Canada as soon as they get the option. I've never gotten that idea from Cole Caulfield. Not, not even for a second. He loves it in Montreal. It's very apparent. Maybe he does leave and I'll end up, you know, eating these words, but I really doubt it. I feel very strongly that he understands that the best place for him is in Montreal. So with all that said, there's a lot to get done this summer, right? Um, It should be an interesting one especially as we get closer to the draft and free agency when things really start to open up. Um, but as teams get eliminated, I think we'll start to see more teams who are uh, you know, wanting to, to shake things up. Toronto, they're about to be eliminated. I don't think they're coming back from 3-0 down. That team is going to implode. Can a team like Montreal be around there to pick, you know, pick pieces off the corpse? We'll see. All right, that's all I got. How was the return? Did you enjoy it? It feels good to be back behind this microphone. I'm not going to lie. Very excited to have done this today. Um, a couple of notes before I leave. Shout out to Jordan Harris. He was the uh, Montreal Canadiens nominee for the King Clancy Award. For those who don't know, I will pull the uh, <laughs> the exact wording for this trophy from the NHL. This trophy is awarded to the player who best exemplifies leadership qualities on and off the ice and has made a noteworthy humanitarian contribution in his community. Um, Jordan Harris is, like, the coolest. He's the kind of player that that makes you proud to wear the same sweater. I hope he sticks around for a long time. I really enjoy watching him as a hockey player, but also just the guy is cool, Um, which is, in this day and age, kind of rare to find both of those things. Um, And one final note on something I shared on Twitter a while ago, but wanted to put a final bow on it with perhaps some more information um, that being Rabbit Habs, the Habs blog that I was a part of for seven or eight years and had owned for the last year or so. Um, I became the owner of the site a year ago, or little, maybe a little bit before that. And with the site's um, domain coming up for renewal, I decided not to renew it. It was a tough decision, but I haven't put in the time and effort into keeping it up. Domains are expensive. I don't know if you've ever bought a domain, but they're not cheap. Um, I just didn't have the time to do it anymore, given the work I've been doing on this show and, you know, making appearances on other shows. Thankfully, 
what I said was incorrect. The site is not going away. Um, the previous owner reached out to me uh, and said that if I was turning the lights off, um, he would rather keep it going. So he's decided to, to keep it going. Um, I will still no longer be a part of it, unfortunately. I just, as I said, I don't have the time. Um, and honestly, I think podcasting has come far more naturally to me than writing ever did. Uh, as much as I enjoyed it, it was it's time to move on. All good things come to an end. Um, even this show, both immediately with the conclusion of this episode and eventually with the Canadians hopefully winning a Stanley Cup. Um, if you've ever checked anything out on Rabbit Habs, thanks for doing so. I really enjoyed doing things like the post-game blog was loads of fun. I got to do a lot of dumb stuff because I was in charge and I could do whatever I wanted. Um, I think I think it was around the time the uh, it was around the Seattle expansion draft. And, you know, they were talking about exposing Carey Price to the, 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 you know, the draft list. And I just, I think I wrote an article that said, don't do that. And that was the end of the article. Um, I did a lot of stuff with the, uh, the NHL fanatic shop that ultimately translated into stuff that I did for the hockey newsletter, which was another great publication that, that we worked on. Um, so that, you know, having the freedom to create whatever content I wanted to make, um, it shaped this show, right? Like I, you can, a lot of times you can take the freedom to, to make something exactly how you want to make it. And you can then just create something that doesn't have structure. It doesn't have any rhyme or reason for the way things are. I think having the freedom to make whatever I wanted made me want to create better things. Um, it's really been a driving force for me still with this, with this show. Um, so before I go, I want to do some, you know, give some stick taps to the folks who who were, you know, pretty instrumental in in helping me, uh, you know, get to where I am now. Andre Leclerc, who's the previous owner of the site, um, who's now going to resume control again. Um, he was the first one um, that I interacted with at Rabbit Habs. I was writing on, um, I think it was HF boards, um, and I was basically just writing blog posts there. And then, you know, he had posted something asking for writers and I jumped at the opportunity and, you know, rose through the ranks of that website pretty quickly. Um, so thank you to Andre. Um, Aldo Morano, who created all of the artwork on the site, um, you know, I know I don't know that a lot of people know this, but you can't just use pictures of like the logos and you can't just use pictures of like the games without, you know, paying for them. So we had to get creative and, and Aldo had stepped up to... Um, make all of the the logos for all of the, not only you know just rabbit habs themed things but like for every team in the league he made a logo based on you know our our little guy the the you know the the main mascot of rabbit habs um which is a doing that was a massive undertaking and i i thank him greatly for that um he did that all for us and i i really like the look of it all uh ryan prout uh robert brown they were regular contributors to the site. I really enjoyed reading their stuff and, and you know, I, I hope in some small way I helped them, um, you know, work on their creative voices. Um, I, I see Ryan posting, um, you know, articles to other places all the time. I'm, I'm always very happy to see people who used to write for us go on and, and do great things. Um, so it was always really nice to, to not only read their stuff ahead of time before everybody else got the chance to, but... Um, to edit them and, and, and work with them on making their, their stuff the best it could be. Uh, and last but not least, my buddy Zach Vanoss, host of the Montreal Bias, the first ever podcast I appeared on. 
I think I've told this story before, but I um I was in I was still in university, and I uh, I had been working on Rabbit House for a while, and Zach invited me on the show. I rented a uh, a study room from the library and did the show from there. Um, he even let me host the Recency Bias, the post game show, when he had bigger and better things to do. Um, so greatly, I, I really appreciate, you know, Zach, not only for his friendship, but, you know, he, he really took a, an interest in making me a better writer and a better content creator. And I've, I've always really appreciated that, um, was never afraid to tell me when things, uh, ought to be done differently. And I, I'm very appreciative of that. Um, so to paraphrase the great Anthony Fantano, rabbit habs forever. So thanks for listening and for your patience as I get back to my normal self. I'm um, I'm hoping the Habs give us more to talk about so we have more to talk about when I do these over the next few weeks. But if not, we'll figure something out. We always do. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Maybe It's Ian. Uh, if you like the show, share it. It's the best way for this show to grow. It's the best way for you to show that you appreciate something. Um, the music you heard at the beginning of the show and are hearing right now is Inside by Fred Mug. Check the link in the description uh, to head over to his Bandcamp page and uh, see more of his stuff. I miss saying that. All right, guys. Until I see you next time, take care.